So I've been asked a lot repeatedly about breeding and why I don't breed more and why I don't sell. So I wanted to cover a couple of the things people should think about before they get into tarantula breeding and just give my own take and background on it. This will not be a tutorial on exactly how to breed because if depending on the species, it can be very different from species to species and that would be much longer than a 30-minute podcast probably, although I may address some of the species. I've, I've only bred a couple so far, but I may address some of those later on, just some of the circumstances about how they were bred and whatnot. But for this one, it's just the whole topic of breeding. And I think what happens is a lot of people get into the hobby and they immediately, and this was, I'm including myself in this one, so please don't think I'm being judgmental at all. I got in and I immediately started tracking down females. One reason was because females obviously live longer, and if you're buying a spider and you kind of want one that's going to live more than a year or two, a lot of the males will not live particularly long, and they mature quickly. I'm thinking my C. darlingi, I had two mature males. One of them matured out in like eight months. It was ridiculous. I was actually shocked at how small it was and how quickly it matured, and the other one was a little bit later, like 11 or 12 months, but again, they didn't last very long, so I think a lot of us grab females for that, but if I'm being completely honest, when I got into it, I started grabbing females because I immediately had aspirations to breed. Uh, I grew up in a farm where we're breeding animals all the time. It's something I always enjoyed doing. Just the, the idea that you've been able to produce offspring of an animal is fantastic. Um, sometimes we, I think, pat ourselves on the back a little too much because if there's one thing that's, you know, pretty normal in nature, it's things will breed and reproduce without our help. Uh, but when I started picking up tarantulas, I was getting a lot of like juvenile female, young adult females because I wanted to breed. Well, something happened along the line that kind of changed my thought on it, which is I got into keeping a lot more species than I originally had intended. When I first got into the hobby, I remember turning to Billy at one point and going, yeah, this one's going to blow up. And she's like, it's going to be like the snakes, isn't it? Because with the snakes, I had like 40 snakes at one point. And I was like, yeah, I can see myself easily having 30 of these. Well, within the first year, I had well over 30. Now I'm pushing 100. And actually, I just got rid of my sling, so I'm back down to about 153 tarantulas, along with all the other animals, 50-something scorpions, some other things. So what happened was, luckily, I had a moment of clarity, kind of an epiphany, where I realized taking care of all these extra slings is going to be a huge pain in the butt. I have... Uh, two larger Tupperware that I kind of made into nurseries for the slings I have. And I think I have a total of about 40 slings in there. And that's usually one night feeding unto itself. I feed my slings twice a week. I, I check on them. Part of it's so I can check on them more often, make sure that they have moisture in their uh, tanks if they need it or in their cages to make sure they're well fed, to see if they're molting. Every, just slings are a little more delicate than their adult car counterparts. I've said this a million times. So it makes sense to check them more often. And then it's easier to go and feed them twice a week. I don't, we'll get into the power feeding thing. I am going to do a topic on that and cover that again later on. I don't believe power feeding actually exists with tarantulas, but when doing the slings, I find it better to do two. Some of them I even do three times a week. My T-Psychos, I check more obsessively because that is an expensive spider and I want to make sure they're doing well. And like the other day, I came in, caught a little spot of mold where I missed a bolus. So I want to take care of that one promptly. But when Talking about these guys, it takes me, I do these guys two times a week, and one of the nights is a school night, so I'm kind of tired when I come in, and I don't have a lot of time in the afternoon between, you know, we, we help Kale his homework, we do, you know, I sit down, I just want to relax sometimes. So it can take an hour or so to feed just those 40. Now imagine you're raising a, a, a popular one, Lazy Adora Parahibana. Got a lot of people that apparently they breed easy, and I got a lot of folks that are like, "Yep, I got an LP female, can't wait to breed it." People have had two thousand slings from those. It's it's two thousand slings. A thousand's not abnormal. 
heck, 500. A lot of slings. And it's fun. I will tell you the actual, there's, that's one of my rewarding uh, points of the hobby for me was when I did that Hapalopus species Columbia large. It was the first ones I hatched out. And that was a huge, it was a moment where I was sitting like, oh my God, I did this. Like I, I bred tarantulas. I got all these babies. And then it, it kind of slowly turns into, oh my Lord, I, I have all these babies. What am I going to do with them? And for those, they were like gentle as second instars. So I could leave some of them together for a while. But I ended up, I started off with, I believe, Oh, God, it was around 400. I think I ended up, when all was said and done, with 375 slings. That's a lot of slings. Let me tell you, that's a lot of work. It was taking me a long time to care for them. So I think what happened is partway through the hobby, just having this little box of slings and seeing how long it took me to take care of them, I started thinking a little more realistically. And this is what people need to remember when they're when they're going to undertake breeding. I'm not trying to dissuade people from breeding. Let me make that very clear. And if anybody's listened to my, my videos lately and my podcast, I am encouraging people to breed. We have species. I'm just thinking of the Grammastol polka, for example, that will disappear from the hobby for years at a time because nobody over here is breeding them. We get slings in. People buy the slings. They raise the slings. La-di-da. They've got you know males, females, whatever. But there's no breeding happening. So we have to import these from Europe. So we see prices from these guys go from like $35, $40 to now it's $95 because guess what? It costs a lot of money to import a batch of tarantulas from Europe. And that's actually a good price, quite frankly, considering what it costs to bring all these guys in. So we want to, in the hobby, in the United States especially, and hopefully I'm getting some people that are from, you know, Europe as well. Uh, Germans are really good at the breeding and stuff, and I think that's where we're getting a lot of them from. Thanks, guys. Believe me, we appreciate it, but we do need to get a sustainable population of some of these guys in the U.S. hobby as well. That's why I have a lot of people from Europe will comment, man, these things are really pricey over there. What's going on? Well, because we're getting them from you guys. So again, I want people to breed. It behoove, that's one of the reasons I feel like now it's part of my responsibility to start getting some of these species in here and to start breeding. I have a lot of females. I will breed them. But here are some things to think about. A, the actual breeding takes time. You need to have time to sit down to prep. In some cases, you got to do some prep for the males and females. There's things you got to, you know, flood the females enclosure. You got to dry the females enclosure out. You, it, there's a lot to think about. And again, I'm not going to go into the specifics because it differs from species to species. But there's a lot you need to think about before you even get started. It's going to take a lot of time to do the research, set it up, and do the actual pairing. The first Hapalopus species breeding attempt I did, I put the male next to the female. He wandered on over, and I proceeded to watch them go back and forth for about two hours with nothing. There was no insertion. The male ended up getting spooked, boogied, and I know why later on, because when he finally did get insertion, it didn't go well for him. And that was two hours of my life that I will never get back. Was it rewarding? After the fact, yes, it was, but I'll tell you at the time, I do have a terrible attention span sometimes and sitting there like playing solitaire on my phone, watching these two kind of go at it. Like first point I was hovering over them with the paintbrush. Then they kind of got some distance and I kind of started playing solitaire and let's just say it, it was, it was a little bit exhausting. It was on a Sunday. I had feeding the dew that got put, pushed aside because of this. So it's something to think about that the actual act of pairing two tarantulas can take a lot of time. Um, the second breeding attempt took a long time. Third breeding attempt met, went much more quickly, and I believe the fourth breeding attempt went much more quickly. But we're talking, when all was said and done, it was about six hours or so of time to breed these guys, which is not bad considering some other species. You can talk about six hours in a single breeding attempt. Let, let that percolate a little bit. Six hours watching two spiders chase each other around. That's a lot of time. So again, something to take into consideration. 
Um, another thing is if you pull the sack, taking care of the sack can take time. You have to, you know, make sure well, most people pull it after it's like 23, 24 days or so up to a month. You pull it up, you get your eggs with legs. You have to make your little incubator and then you have to keep track of them, which isn't too, too difficult. But you want to make sure your conditions in your home are appropriate for it. If you have uh, cold weather coming in or we had one situation where I was raising the slings and we lost power. And although we had a generator, we couldn't kick it on right away. So things were getting cold, something to worry about. So that takes time. The numbers of slings before you start breeding, you want to check out how many slings you can expect to have. And I will tell you from experience, look on the high end just in case, because when I was looking up Hapalopus, one of the reasons I started with this species is I read a lot of people that talked about they got, you know, 30 slings, 50 slings, 100 slings. One guy's like, oh my gosh, I have 150 of these. And everybody's like, oh my God, that's a huge sack. 400. I started off with just around 400. That's a lot of slings, and I'll be honest, I wasn't quite prepared for that many. It ended up being great in the long run, but that's a lot of thing, a lot of slings to have to care for, and, and this is where it trickles into my next point, you need to find a place to sell them. Um, bottom line, postage, if you're using FedEx, is incredibly expensive. A lot of the dealers have deals with FedEx, so they get things for a better price. So if you're not aware of that, the reason why they're able to ship at those prices and keep their prices somewhat reasonable around the $40, $50 mark is because they get deals as far as over the shipping. But I will tell you just for an example, the prices of FedEx went up in the middle of me trading with the person, the individual brandy who I got the male Hapalopus species from. Um, and she sent it from California, and when it was time for me to send the slings back, the cost to ship to California, with we're not even talking the, the best overnight service they had. It was kind of like the third tier overnight service where they get in the afternoon was around 95 bucks. That's a lot of money, and it didn't matter how many slings I had. I was shipping her at the time, I believe 80-something slings, 75 slings, so that was a good portion, but... I had people that got very frustrated with me because I raised these slings and they're like, hey, are you going to sell them out? And I'm like, I feel bad charging somebody 10, I was going to sell the slings for like 10, $15 each. I wanted to put them out there fairly cheap, um, maybe even cheaper. People bought more than one, but then charge them $90 for shipping. I can't eat that cost. That's too much. Either I jack the price way up on the spiders to cover it or you know, pray that a lot of people ordered from Connecticut or Massachusetts so the shipping wasn't as much. It just wasn't fin- It wasn't a viable option for me, and I just couldn't see telling people that it was going to cost them you know, sometimes three times as much as it costs for the spider just to ship it. So when breeding, you have to give thought and prepare ahead of time and find out if you have places to sell your spiders to. Um, selling individually is great. And a lot of people do carve out, they, they get a system down if they're raising enough species. I know a lot of, I'm thinking Tom Patterson raises a lot and sells a lot of them himself just from uh, Facebook and arachnoboards, which is great. And he obviously has a system that works for him. But if you're raising one spider, if all you've got is like, oh, I, I read my piece of Latheria regalis, it's going to be tougher for you to justify that cost, that shipping cost for people without eating it. And that's not a lot of fun either, losing a bunch of money after raising things. So that's where I I can implore people to go out and start talking to dealers and stuff. A lot of them buy their stuff wholesale. Yes, you're not going to get as much money as you would if you sold them individually, but you're going to have a one hundredth of the headache of trying to do the whole shipping yourself, packing. One thing to think about, go out and research how much the packing materials cost. Figure out how much it'll cost. Say you have a hundred slings. Say everybody, let's pretend everybody buys two. So you're selling, shipping out 50 packages. Go research what it's going to cost to get the foam, cut the comb, foam, or buy the actual boxes that come with the foam already in them, the heat pack, the packing material, the deli cups, everything else, running the FedEx, doing the mailing. 
that's a lot of work, a lot of work. And that was one of the things that kind of dissuaded me at first from actually doing the breeding. So what you want to do ahead of time, you've decided you've got a female, you're thinking about breeding, start putting your feelers out. Look out and see what the prices are for these guys. Look at species that people aren't breeding. Because right now, if you go out, like there was a point where I was thinking about breeding my LP very early on before I found out how many slings they had. And I started looking out, everybody had LPs. Everybody was giving away LPs. So that would have been a species that there were already enough of them on the market that if I was trying to sell them, if I ended up with a 1,000 LPs and was trying to get rid of them, nobody wanted them. So now you're going to be stuck with a lot of them. And that's what you have to kind of consider. And again, not trying to dissuade people. It's just some aspects that I don't think people give a lot of thought to. They immediately jump into, oh, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to breed spiders and don't think of the logistics of it. What is this going to take? So you breed an LP, you have a 1,000 of them. Where are you going to sell them? Most people were giving them away at one point. So you want to look for species, you know, um, GBBs are very popular. Uh, uh, Cyaneo pubicens, C. Cyaneo pubicens, very popular species. They always seem to be on the market and there's a market for. Avicularia versicolor is one that's always a market for. Um, Some of the Pamphibedia species, obviously, and they can be tougher ones to breed. The pumpkin patches seem to move very well, but keep in mind there are a lot of them out there right now. And then there's species like Gramosola pulchra. They're very tough to breed, but hence we don't have a lot of them. So look at what you have and then do some market research. Go out on the arachnoboards, see what people are paying wholesale for them, get an idea. I've heard people get very, very upset because they're like, oh, I have this species. They're selling them for $45 and people only want to pay me eight bucks. Well, that's because it's going to be wholesale. If you're, if you're selling them to somebody that's just going to sell them out of their shop, you're fine. They'll probably pay you a little bit more for them. If you're selling them from somebody that does wholesaling themselves, so you are selling them to somebody who's then going to sell them to other people. So they'll buy, sometimes they'll give you a good price for your whole, you know, you have 300, they'll buy all 300 slings and then they're going to sell them to a bunch of different dealers. So they're going to have a markup as well. So expect to get less. So understand that if you're selling them just to a general vendor, I've had great experiences with uh, Tanya. Fear Not Tarantula has been absolutely amazing. I've sold to Jamie's from Jamie's Tarantula. has been awesome. Find a reputable dealer that's going to give you a good price and buy the majority of them up because that takes them off your hands. Then you're mailing one package out or two packages out to a couple different dealers as opposed to trying to handle all of them yourself. So something to think about. Do your homework ahead of time. Shoot out some emails. Contact. Tanya is ridiculously responsive to stuff like this, and she's a very well-respected vendor. She can help you out. You go, hey, Tanya, here's what I'm thinking of breeding. What do you think? Is this something I'd be interested in? You know, at least touch base with these people. Hey, Jamie, what's up? Um, Is this a spider you might be interested in the future? I'm looking to breed. Get an idea of what market you have out there so you're not stuck with a bunch of slinks. Because, moving into my next point, you're going to have to buy houses for these. I've used the deli cups. I pick up the, um, I think they're uh, four ounce deli cups, the smaller deli cups. They come in two different sizes. I've used those before. I use the really small 2.5, I think, ounce size, the souffle cups for lack for a better descriptor. You can buy them as souffle cups. And I use those for the Hapalopus species. They were nice because they were easily ventilated. You could buy them cheap if you got them like 100, 200. They're stackable because that's something you want to think about. You want to kind of make a little incubator area. So I've seen some people use like Sterilite drawer systems they have at Walmart that you can buy. They have like three plastic drawers. You can stack them all up there, move the whole thing out when it's feeding time and feed them. But keep in mind, it's going to cost you money for that, for the substrate, 
If you use vials, you're going to have to order the vials from someplace, and the best way is bulk. So you're going to be spending 50 60 bucks just on vials at least, depending on how many you're going to need. These are things to think about that you're going to want to have ahead of time before you end up with all the baby slings. Uh, the last batch I bred was Avicularia versicolor, and I actually didn't go public with the fact that I had my female bred at first because I knew a lot of people were going to want them, and I didn't want to disappoint by saying, yep, I'm going to have them, and no, I'm probably not selling any of them myself. What I did is I got a breeding male from Tanya. We I did the pairing, and Tanya, being the amazing per, amazing person she is, and I've just had so much fun working with her. Just She's a great person, a friend in the hobby now, and a friend, in, period, and then just knowledgeable and does great business, so it's easy for me to send people her way without even batting an eyelash. She came, drove up from Virginia to Connecticut to pick them up, and she and Rachel, who has a channel of her own, came up and picked up the slings we got the hangout it was a wonderful experience but you know what it made that so rewarding for me because i didn't have to worry about those slings for very long and that was that's very enticing for me for my breeding projects to know that i have a market waiting that somebody wants these slings is going to take them right away for tanya i'll tell you one thing to try if you're not into you know if you're not as concerned about getting money for them i'm not huge into making a profit off my animals and i will go into that in an episode because i think people get very frustrated with me that i'm not trying to profit off ads on youtube and and sell my animals to make a lot of money that's not i think a lot of people see that i've built a quote unquote brand with tom's big spiders and wonder why i don't do more with it and i'll address that in a later episode because i i do think it warrants some explanation but if you're not looking to make a lot of money or if you have a species that might not be the most um, marketable, like people aren't really clamoring for them, trades work great. I've got amazing things from trades with Tanya. I just got two T blondies. So it's, it doesn't have blondie. I've heard it said both ways. So blondie, blondie, Theraphos of blondie. Um, slings, one might be a female. That's beautiful for me. There's two species that I would probably be too cheap to actually shell out the $250 plus for for a sling. Um, It's two species that I've wanted for a long time, and I traded a bunch of slings that would have took a ridiculous amount of work. We did do a Billy and I did all the rehousing. It was amazing. Talk about uh, husband-wife bonding experience. We came home from work. One of them started to get out of the enclosure I had him in and escape. So I'm like, Billy, we got to do these. So we set up a system, 50 minutes, 150 slings out housed. But that takes time again. But I didn't have to spend months caring for them. So I had this lined up ahead of time. Tanya got me the mail. We did the breeding alone. I told you if you want, I told her she wants the other half. They are hers. I did the breeding. They are in the hobby. Hopefully some people get my slings, breed them as well. We'll keep them, keep them, and make sure the hobby is filled with Carabina Versicolors. I didn't say Avicularia earlier. I hope I didn't say Avicularia earlier. Sometimes old habits die hard. But that will hopefully get more of those in the hobby. They'll get bred, and we just perpetuate it and make sure that we have a good uh, quantity of them in the hobby to sustain it here. But perfect situation as far as I get mail, I breed, we separate them. The slings are off, going off to people, and they are available at Fear Not Tarantulas now for people who want them. And uh, if you get one, please let me know. I, I'm always tickled when people drop me a line going, I got one of your your uh, Hapalopis species, and I really want to hear people go, I got one of your Caribbean Versicolors, because I love that female, and I now love that there will be babies out there, and hopefully people will enjoy them as much as I enjoyed my female. But perfect situation, and this is why I implore people that Yes, get into the breeding, but start doing some research about it. Look up markets. Find some of these places out there. There are places, if you go on arachnoboards, they're always looking to buy slings wholesale. You're not going to get top dollar for them, but you're going to get money for them. There are other places you can trade with. Set something up ahead of time. Reach out. Do the footwork beforehand. 
and get some people to agree that, hey, yeah, if you read one of these, read some of these, I'll be likely to pick some up. And so that way you have the peace of mind of knowing there's a market for them. Because if there's not a market for them, and I just talked to somebody that was asking me if I knew anybody they could approach because he had bred a bunch of peace Lotharia, I believe it was Regalis, I could be wrong, and basically didn't think, and he admitted, I'm not making fun of the guy because I could have done the very same thing. He didn't put a lot of thought into what he was going to do with them after the fact. So he bred, he got the sack, he's got them all raised up. He does, he did have them communally for a little bit, and then he thought there was some cannibalism, so he separated them. Well, he didn't have anybody lined up with who to buy them. And unfortunately, he was from Europe, so I, I put him in contact with some people over there. I'm not as familiar with the European dealers or whatnot, but I said, you're going to want to contact people over here. But he's like, man, this is taking, like, you know, I'm in a busy period at work, and I'm trying to feed these guys twice a week, and it takes time, and one escaped the other day. And I think it was more that reality check where it sounds very romantic, very cool to go, hey, I bred tarantulas. I, I did this. And I'll tell you, the feeling is awesome. When you actually pull it off, it's an amazing feeling, and you feel very accomplished, and it's, it's almost like a feather in your cap as far as your level of keeping. Like, all right, I've been talking about them all this time. Now I've actually produced them. But you want to make sure you're prudent and plan ahead of time and make sure that you have fought this out and have these markets. So I hopefully I haven't heard from the guy again, and I do want to try to find the email and see if he, I'm, I'm sure hopefully he found somebody to trade them off to. But again, that's what can happen if you don't plan ahead. So for people listening to this, as I adjusted my chair, because I'm sitting with horrible posture and it's killing me here. Um, not that everybody needs to know that, but for people that are planning on breeding, do your homework ahead of time. If you've got your female, obviously you've got to find a male, but look up and find out what are some of the conditions for breeding. Is there a better time of year? Do you have to flood? Do you have to keep them dry? Find that stuff out ahead of time. Keep a notebook. Start writing down notes. Go onto arachnoboards. Look up uh, breeding attempts and what you can expect. What were the conditions? What were the temperatures? What was the humidity? Um, what time of year? What can you expect? Is the male going to munch the female? I mean, the female going to munch the male? That happens sometimes. Is it one where they kind of get along very well? That's something to look at. And then... Do the important stuff. Find markets. If you're really intent on doing this, find your markets ahead of time and figure out this is this falls back on my not wanting to make a lot of money off of the animals thing. Figure out what you can realistically expect. There's nothing I hate more than to hear, and I've heard this a couple times where oh, I bred all these damn spiders. Oh, sorry for the curse there, but hopefully it's a moderate one. I bred all these darn spiders. And nobody wants these things. And now I'm stuck with these stupid things. That's just a miserable experience all around. Now you have a bunch of animals you don't want. Um, you're obviously going to be frustrated. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that somebody that's saying this, the care isn't going to be particularly great for them. I've heard people get really upset because, oh, I raised all these things and all I'm going to get is $3 for them. That's ridiculous. Well, you should have kind of thought that out ahead of time. Yeah, if you raised LPs, there's a million of them out there. They have huge sacks, and because they're not wild, they're not all getting picked off and dying, so a lot of them will survive. So there's a lot of there's an abundance of them in the hobby. So that's maybe a species you should have shied away from, or a species you just should have probably chalked up to, hey, I'm going to get the experience, but probably not going to make a lot of money off these. Don't let money be the guiding factor for you breeding. I think that's a huge point. And obviously not everybody's going to listen to this. And obviously getting money or getting new spiders for it is definitely a perk, but don't let that be the only thing. Have it be something that's fun. You're, you're exploring a new facet of the hobby, which is a very fascinating facet of the hobby. You're actually producing animals. So have that be the guiding part. Start there with that type of idea. Like this is going to be a fun experience. This is something I can share. This is something that I can kind of, again, put that feather in my cap that I produced it. And then the ultimate reward, a bonus gravy, if you will, is that you're going to get some money for it or some more slings. That should be secondary. So go in it with that, you know, 
I hate to say realistic, it's not realistic, but a, a more pure mindset that you are going to be helping infuse the hobby with much needed slings. We, we need the hobbies growing. There's more and more people getting into it, and we need to, a sustainable population of these captive bred specimens so that we can sell them. Go in with that, and then the rest of it should be a bonus. You're going to make a couple bucks off it. That's great. But don't go in with the, I can't stand here. Yeah, I've, I've had people contact me. Oh, I just picked up an Ultramarinus, and I'm, I'm, I can't wait because I'm going to have a sack of, you know, a couple hundred of these. I'm going to sell them for like 80 bucks each. And I'm going to make a bunch of money. And that, it doesn't always work that way. You remember, these? you've got to find people that are actually going to pay that much for them, and that's not easy. Go to the shops. Look at some of the more expensive spiders that are for sale. They're there for a while sometimes because not everybody is willing to drop $85, $90, $100 on a spider. That's just the truth. The people that are looking to breed sometimes will. People that are looking to have something unique that they can show off sometimes will. I've done it for the fact that I have the YouTube channel, and I like writing about husbandry, and I want to be able to do – I know I got my poker piece, my uh, Herbacteria poker piece – one of the big motivators behind it was because I wanted to write care guides on it because I know a lot of people are like, yeah, it's really expensive. I'm afraid I'm going to kill it. And not a lot was known or circulated about the care for them at that time. So I wanted to be somebody that could kind of go ahead and assure people, yeah, this is a spider that's easy to keep. It's worth if you spend the 90 bucks on it or what was it then about 125 bucks. Now it's gone down. Then you're likely going to have a spider that's going to be healthy enough that you don't have to worry about losing. So I think Again, when breeding, just go into it with a pure attitude. Don't go into it looking for the quick buck because I think the majority of dealers will tell you there's no quick buck in this hobby. If you're going to make money, you're going to be working to make that money. It's going to take work. It's going to take time. You're going to have frustration. It's just part of raising animals. That's Anybody that's raising animals before breeding snakes, whatever, can tell you there's there's a learning curve and it can be frustrating and it can be difficult at times. It's not a quick buck. It's rewarding to be... uh, rewarded monetarily for your efforts that's great but that shouldn't be the guiding force so again i encourage everybody out there to breed i think i will go ahead and probably do some type of plan on doing this for a while but some of the notes for the species i have bred and been successful with which to this point is two so that's easy enough although i have two others that are bred that i'm hoping to get sacks from pretty soon so i'll be able to talk about them and then going ahead i do look to continue breeding and have some my big thing is for mictopus i'm dying to get them into the hobby here in the u.s and more established and that's a big goal of mine so i'll be breeding those ahead of time um so something i implore people to give it a try now Personally, one thing I just want to address is for folks who are upset because I'm not selling mine. I've had some people get really kind of angry with me. I got an email from somebody that was very upset that I didn't sell any of my Caribbean Aversa colors. Like, why would you do this? Again, guys, it comes down to Tom's Big Spiders, whether it be the blog, whether it be the podcast that I've now spent three hours on a Saturday putting together. Um, I'm about to edit a video in a minute that I've already spent about three hours on, and I will be adding the notes, which will take another hour, and then there's the uploading, then there's answering comments. Guys, it takes time. So we got to decide where do we want me in this hobby. I am more than happy to produce slings, but if I have a chance to sell them all off to Tanya at Fear Not Tarantulas and know they're going to an absolutely fantastic place and somebody that knows their stuff, that is great with customer service, that is going to treat people right, that is going to help them out, that is going to give them good advice, and that is going to get these spiders where they need to go, then that is perfect for me because that leaves me time to do what I'm doing right now. Spend an entire morning talking into a microphone in front of my computer while my kids are upstairs playing video games, which makes me probably not father of the year material. But all joking aside... That, that's it. I just don't have the time to ship. Billy and I did publishing for a while with books and stuff and just the shipping of books when it's just something you can pack and have sitting stacked in boxes in your dining room. 
um, for days. You don't have to worry about shipping them out right away. That was difficult enough. I can't even fathom trying to do that with living animals that could actually perish if you don't get them out in time. I I can't imagine coming home and trying to track weather all across the country. Tanya's kind of given me a, a glimpse into what she has to do, and it's amazing. She doesn't just check the weather where it's going. She checks where they stop off when FedEx is shipping them, what the airport is there, what the temperature is. There's so much that goes into successfully shipping these guys to make sure you get animals that they're alive and healthy. I don't have the time for it, nor do I have the the desire to shell a lot of money out of my pocket to cover shipping costs when it costs $125 to ship something across the country or whatnot. I just, it's just not in the card. So again, guys, don't, please don't get frustrated with me when that happens. I have a couple things I will be selling personally out of my collection coming up. And I've already spoken to a couple people that it, we've gone back and forth. And once things warm up, I may be shipping some of my collection out, but it's older specimens. As far as slings are concerned, I just don't have the time or energy to do that right now. It's not in the cards, but recognize that you can hop over to different places. I know at one point my Hapalopus slings were at uh, Netbug, although I don't think Anastasia put it out there that they were for me. Um, Jamie's tarantulas had them, put them out there. They were mine. And then Tanya has them and she currently has my Carabina slings. So those are places you can go that easily get those things shipped out. You can buy more than just what I'm selling. So you can get a few spiders, make your uh, shipping dollar go further and get a better overall experience and more for your money. And finally, to close this one out, I'm going to address a comment I got in one of my YouTube videos because this is actually the second one I've gotten of this nature. I just thought it'd be an interesting thing to address. Um, as most people hopefully recognize now, I'm not an alarmist when it comes to old world species. I'm not one that comes out there and says they're uh, the devils, that they're trying to kill you, that they're aggressive and that nature. And recently I did a, a genus review on Pisolotheria species. And one of the things I wanted to do with this review is to realistically address these spiders and not just go with the whole, they're the devil, they're scary, they'll come at you, they're going to tag you, you're going to go to the hospital, things of that nature. But one of the comments I made in it is that a bite from one of these species is nothing to trifle with. Although I found that mine do not want to bite normally, they would much rather run and hide and, and duck and use their camouflage to stay away from you. And that's been the, everybody, knock on wood so far, everybody I've transferred, it's been fine. Because they'd rather hide. They're not going to come at you like other species. I did point out the fact that the venom is nothing to trifle with. This, this is not a joke. If you read bite reports for Pisolotheria species, it's scary, some of the stuff that can happen. If you're lucky, you get a dry bite. You get a little localized pain, you're, you're good in a week or so. But people have described just excruciating pain, vomiting, nausea, uh, disorientation, full body cramping that lasts weeks that nothing touches. We're talking, one guy was talking about how it started and his toes worked all the way up to Charlie horses and his calves and his thighs. One guy went to the hospital because the muscles in his chest basically seized up and he thought he was having a heart attack and they were having heart palpitations. That's nothing to trifle with. That's no joke. And it's is that what you can expect every single time? Obviously, it depends on the person who's bitten and the reaction to the venom. But realistically, not a species I want to be bitten, not a genus I want to be bitten by. You are going to experience excruciating pain if you get a wet bite in the very least. And in some places, debilitating side effects for possibly months up to one guy told me it was a year before he stopped getting these bouts of dizziness and full body cramping. 
So here's the comment. I'm not going to use the person's name because I, I didn't ask permission, but it, it's a comment that I received on one of the peace Letheria videos. A bite will not have a healthy adult going to a hospital. My wife was bitten by a mature female Arnada, and she took only a couple ibuprofen on the day of the bite and over-the-counter leg cramp medicine for a couple weeks after the bite. Now, again, there's not a lot of information here. I don't know how bad the pain was, anything like that, but unfortunately, I, I don't agree. I 100% don't agree. Um, read bite reports. A lot of people end up going to the hospital. Now, one thing we can differentiate, can the hospital do very much for you? In many instances, no. They've found that the, the stuff they give you for pain relief doesn't particularly cut the pain, and I, I believe there was one bite report I read where they were giving this guy morphine, and he was still in pain. The full body cramping, it just comes and goes. You can get that for a while, and we're talking up to a year afterwards, and to say a healthy person does not need to go to the hospital. If anybody's watched, um, there's a video with Tarantula Guy 1976, I believe is the name. It was a very popular YouTuber. Hopefully someday will make a comeback, but a lot of people enjoyed his videos. But he got bit, I believe, by a female or not. He's a big dude. He's even bigger now that he's been bodybuilding for a while. He's just a tank. But back in the day, big guy, I believe he was in the boxing stuff. Obviously not a guy that's, you know, scared to experience a little pain. He was almost he was in tears talking about this. He's holding his hand, he's bleeding, he's he's in, almost incoherent. And guess where they ended up? The hospital. They went to the hospital to try to get relief. So to say people aren't going to end up get, going in the hospital, make a blanket statement. It sounds like perhaps his wife experienced a dry bite. Maybe she just didn't have that much of a reaction. But that is normally not what happens. Again, I implore people if you don't believe me, look up bite reports for these guys. It was the thing that kept me getting pokies for a little while because, quite frankly, I pride myself on being able to take pain. It's, you know, I've been bit by things before. I've been I've had injury. It usually doesn't scare me, but some of the other things that go along with this, I mean, hey, we're just talking about pain on a level that I don't even know if I've even experienced before. So to heck with that. I'm not, my days of being macho and being like, look what I can do. That's done and gone. I don't feel, really feel like experiencing that. And having experienced Charlie horses before, those are nasty. Like anybody out there that's gotten a Charlie horse is probably shaking their head right now. Those can put you right on your butt in a heartbeat. And um, I actually got sick recently, or it was last, last year, got dehydrated from a stomach flu, got up, got two Charlie horses in my legs, and the pain was so bad and I was so weak, I actually passed out. So they can knock you on your butt. Now imagine getting those all the way, starting from your toes, through your calves, through up through your thighs, your arms, your chest, your chest, all the little muscles around your ribs. If you ever tweaked one, they they were just horrifying. People were having a hard time breathing. That's no joke. So bottom line, does everybody go to the hospital from a piece of Letheria bite? No. Do some people write it out? Yes. Do some people get bit so bad that they think they're going to die and they're going to end up there? Absolutely. So to say that a healthy adult is not going to go to the hospital, I'm sorry, I totally disagree with that. Again, I'm not an alarmist, I am a realist. I try to get people to understand that they are probably, if they know, if they have experience under their belt and play their cards right and are cautious and careful and cognizant of their spiders when they're doing rehousings, you can vastly minimize the chances for an escape and really seriously minimize any chances for a potential bite. That's It's all in prevention. However, if you do get bit, a lot of people are going to go straight to the hospital trying to get help. We're talking a level of pain here that most people haven't experienced in their lives. And you're going, even if I were to tell everybody out there, they're not going to be able to do anything for you under most circumstances. If you're cramping to the point where your chest is seizing up and you're having heart palpitations, you'd kind of be a fool not to go to the hospital and get it checked out. And although if it's just the pain that's killing you and the cramping... even if I told you they're not going to be able to do anything, you're going to be looking for a reprieve from this pain and agony 
you're not going to bother listening to that. You're going to go to the hospital. I'll tell you right now. I know for the most most part that there's not much they can do for you. If I ever were to get bit, knock on wood, I don't ever plan to, I'm probably heading to the hospital just in case. Because even though I think I'm very healthy right now, uh, maybe I have a heart pre-existing heart condition that causes me to go. So maybe... What this individual was trying to say is that they don't need to go to the hospital, but I think to say just because one person didn't have that much of a reaction for this one woman, I've literally received 10 at least in the last several months comments or I had somebody that emailed me that just got bit by a P. Metallica. I had somebody that was bit by an Ornata. I, I thought the comment was on my Pisolotheria genus review where a guy described his bite and the symptoms and what happened because of the bite. And I'll tell you what. This dude ended up in the hospital. It was a bad situation, and it lasted for up to a year. So let's not trifle with these. Let's not pretend like they're not that bad because it depends on the person in the situation, whether you get a dry bite or a wet bite. I also, I believe, just it was one on arachnoboids. I'm not sure what species. I thought it was Pisolotheria, but it might have been something different where a woman in her 20s who's in great shape, I believe she was in a band or something of that nature, it was a very interesting story, but got bit and ended up passing out on stage and being taken by an ambulance. Guess what? That was taken right out of her hands. She didn't go to the hospital. They brought her to the hospital. So guys, again, not trying to be an alarmist. I do believe that if you have your experience, if you're experienced, if you know how to do your transfers, if you've done work with these guys, if you have a good transfer system, a safe transfer system, the idea is to prevent yourself from getting bit. Don't go into the hobby thinking, yes, I'm going to get bit. I honestly think in some instances you almost have to work to get bit. If you're, you, It comes down to that. You do A lot of people to get bit will tell you I did something silly. Um, the instances I've had in my keeping career where I could have gotten tagged, I immediately realized I did something really stupid. I lost focus. I did something I normally don't do. So the idea is to be cautious and careful, not be drinking when you're playing with your spiders. I see that a lot and kind of drives me nuts. But if you're careful, you shouldn't get bit. But to pretend like a bite is just going to be, well, I got bit, oh well, I'm good in a day. That's not the way to look at it. You need to be cognizant of the fact that a bite could be incredibly painful, could put you out of work for a little while, could very realistically put you in a hospital. And there's been a couple instances of people that have spent more than one night in there after a bite because the doctors aren't quite sure how to deal with it and the pain was so bad. That's something you need to think about. And that's enough of a deterrent. I know um, there was recently... A uh, arachnob, uh, not arachnoboids, it was Facebook. There was a group talking about old worlds and if people should keep them and whatever, and we won't get into that. But I know some folks said they haven't even started keeping old worlds yet, and the biggest deterrent for them is the risk of a bite. They don't want the bite. So that's good to be aware of and what you decide to do with that information. I went into the hobby going, you know what? I do not want to get bit, but it wasn't I'm not going to keep these species. I'm going to work my butt off to make sure that I keep my husbandry and my transfers and my care on point so I avoid getting bit. That's my goal. Again, knock on wood, I don't want to jinx myself. So moving ahead, again, I, I don't wish this guy any disrespect or anything, and hopefully he'll come back with a comment. We can have a healthy dialogue, but I do not really feel like that's true. If you get bit by an old world species, there is a chance you're going to go to the hospital even just to get a reprieve from the pain. In some cases, you're going to end up in the hospital because the complications are going to be so severe that you're going to want to go get them checked out. But let's not pretend like these bites aren't bad. We don't want to scare people into thinking they're going to die. Very important to note, you're not going to die from that tarantula bite. You're going to want to feel like you want to die for a little while, that should be said, but they're not going to kill you. There's been, what is it, a calciatum, uh, S. calciatum, I believe was the only 
bite possibly attributed to a death and it was because it bit a young girl I believe in the back of the head the neck that's a bad spot to have venom introduced and then she died later on whether it be from complications whether it be from sepsis because you can get infected whatever it may be but that's something that's talked about that's one in how many cases of people keeping these things so again not being Tom Moran the alarmist just being Tom Moran the realist bites shouldn't happen you should be able to avoid them if they do happen, you're not going to die, but you are going to be in a lot of pain. You're going to have a lot of discomfort. You could have reoccurring issues for many, many months to come, and you're probably going to end up or could end up in the hospital. That's completely normal. All right, so I went over my time limit again, but again, I'm trying to use up some of my time. So these will probably be around 35, 40 minutes from now on with an occasional one-hour one. Thanks again for listening. I truly appreciate it. I've expressed this to a lot of you ad nauseum. You're probably sick of hearing it, but really wasn't sure this podcast thing was going to be for me, and I was really afraid it was going to be poorly received. But the, the response has been fantastic. I've been building on my viewership, so that's been great as well. So again, thanks so much. And as usual, for those who want to comment, please join me on Tom's Big Spire's Facebook page. That's where I throw up links to these and gives people a spot to comment on them. And I'd love to get a dialogue going. So far, it's been a lot of uh, praise and, and comments and people's own stories, which has been absolutely fantastic. And I'd love to get more on there. So if you're checking this out and looking for a place to drop your own comment, definitely come visit me on Facebook. I'll also start posting up these on a monthly on my website. So you can always do the comment section there. But I don't know how many people go from Facebook, the website, to YouTube, whatever. So Facebook's a good place to just kind of be the home base for these. Um, as usual, feel free to check out my website, tomsbigspiders.com. A shout out to Tanya at Fear Not Tarantula. She's been amazing in this hobby with uh, hooking me up with species I'm trying to find, with the trading for the slings I produce. I've mentioned her name several times in this one, so figure, say it one more time. If you're looking for somebody to buy spiders from, you can't do any better than Tanya. She's just fantastic all around. It really does put the customer first, and I could give a million examples of that. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I have an Instagram account that I post to semi-frequently, which I'm very much enjoying, just throwing pictures of spiders up. So you can find me there. And, of course, Tom Moran on YouTube. Uh, that's been my biggest place for getting people right now the youtube has really opened up a lot of uh viewers and, and pulled in a lot more people which has been fantastic so you can check out my videos there that's one thing about the podcast is i am a very visual guy so all you get is my voice here so some of the things i talk about you'll sometimes find videos for there again huge thanks for anybody taking the time to watch and hope you join me for the next one